Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're gonna lose. Coming down the stretch, you're gonna lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric Longside Rod here to talk about MSU's upcoming road game against the Minnesota Golden Gophers on Tuesday night. As we've seen so far in the Big Ten, there are no gimme game road games, and Michigan State has only managed one road win so far in the Big Ten. So if the Spartans want to push for at least a double bye in the Big Ten tournament and a top four finish, this is exactly the kind of game they need to get. The Golden Gophers are 14-7 and and 5-5. and which is, I think, a lot better than we thought they'd be at the turn, coming off a big overtime win versus Northwestern. They're 75th in Ken Palm and 93rd in net. Uh, on offense, they're 98th on offense and 57th on defense, which is not great, but a big improvement from last year, especially on the defensive end over the last three yeah. games. They've really gotten good. Uh, on offense, they do two things really well. They're 16th in the nation from two, and they're 81st in offensive rebounding. The struggles are via turnovers at where they rank 236 in turnover percentage and free throw percentage. We're only 68.2% from the line, and they don't get there very often either. And their threes are not great either at 33.8%. On defense, they've been pretty good against the twos at 39th and have a seven, number 74 block percentage. They're not a very good defensive rebounding team at ranking 249th, uh, and they don't turn over opponents very much, so they rank 203rd in turnovers generated. Mediocre against a three at 181st in percentage, but they limit attempts. And this sort of is similar to the story we had from Maryland, but not quite so much. Uh, so they're 11th in three-point attempts as percent overall shots from the floor. So they just don't give up a lot. And on defense, they also don't foul too much. And it's a slow team, which seems to be the case for a lot of teams in the Big Ten. They're 208th overall in, in uh, pace and 238th in length of offensive possession. And th- th- again, this feels like we just did this show, <laughs> which was, it wasn't too long ago that Michigan State faced Minnesota, uh, except the difference then is uh, Hawkins was not playing, so he'll be back for this game as far as I know. Yeah. Um, I watched I watched their game yesterday against, we're, we're recording this on Sunday, I watched it yesterday, their win in overtime at home over Northwestern, and it it, it really laid bare how much better this team is than they were a year ago. And, you know, you can point to a number of different things. Um, You can point to uh, the fact that some of their returning players like Garcia and Payne have continued to get better. Uh, You Mm -hmm. can point to the addition of Three new guards, two in the portal, one as an incoming freshman, being vastly, vastly better than what they rolled out there last year. Um, and those are all those are all true statements. But I, I think, to me, the the most obvious thing when you watch them, and this is for as much as we utilize and believe in the value of what analytics tell you and statistics about a team, there's also I, I believe there's also still room for the eye test in this sense. Um, I, I saw someone who's a fairly prominent um, uh, blogger, or I'll use that now somewhat antiquated term, uh, internet presence, <laughs> let's say that, or who covers another Big Ten team, say something yesterday on on X, Twitter, about how uh, the the mantra about well a team playing hard as an explanation for things is a cliche and it's 
it's not really very useful. That's where I really disagree with him because I think sometimes playing hard, playing aggressively, um, being tough is actually what underlies improved statistical performance. It does show up sooner or later. It's a real thing. To, to dismiss it, I think, is, let's put it this way. If I put the way Minnesota generally plays their games for 40 minutes versus, oh, let's just pick a random team, the University of Michigan. <laughs> um, are you going to honestly tell me that there's not a difference? And and if you, you, know, if you compare these teams side by side in quote-unquote talent, which is always a tortured term, but if we can agree that in a general sense, talent means a combination of athletic ability and skill sets, so the ability to handle and pass the ball, the ability to shoot it, those types of things, combined with athletic ability, is there really a huge gap between Minnesota's roster and Michigan's? I, at least Michigan's full strength. I don't think so, but yeah. there's very definitely a gap in terms of the intensity and effort with which those teams play for 40 minutes of a game and and the physical toughness that they play with. Minnesota, may, to use a football term, Minnesota makes you feel them. You know, <laughs> they, we saw this in the game at Breslin. Like, yeah. they come to play, and it's something that I, I give Ben Johnson credit for. He has not had overwhelming talent to work with. I don't think he's yet demonstrated that he's the guy to fix the long-standing recruiting issues that have kept Minnesota's talent base maybe at a lower level than it should be, all else being equal. But one thing he's done is he's gotten his teams to play hard and to play aggressively and to play with some toughness. And that does matter. And I think, yeah, the, the, the guards are better. For sure, that's a factor. Garcia and Payne have been better. Uh, Ole Joseph has been improved. All those things are true, but part of the reason those things, those areas, those players are showing up as better is because of the way that Minnesota plays, in my opinion. And and if you watch that game against Northwestern and you've seen Northwestern at all this year, you know that that's what Northwestern does. Northwestern plays with physicality. They play extremely hard. They keep coming at you for 40 minutes. And so to beat them, you got to be able to match that. And Minnesota did, and then some, yesterday. And I think that had a lot to do with why they won. So I, you got to give Ben Johnson a lot of credit for them to be sitting at five and five. Is remarkable. I mean, yeah. If you told me that they won five games for the season instead of at the halfway point in the league, I would have believed that. I yeah, mean, same, I thought that was actually pretty good. <laughs> by the way, same thing for Penn State. Penn State, mm-hmm, yep, very different kind of team. But Mike Rose, like, man, I give that guy all kinds of credit. He's got them at five and six. No way did I think that team with a completely different roster was going to win five games on the season. And here they are just over halfway in, and they're already sitting there. So both of those teams and their coaches really deserve a lot of credit. Um so that spiel over, turning back to what Minnesota actually is, it's it's basically the things that have to do with playing big that they do well offensively. They're good from two as, as a team with a couple of legit post threats probably should be. And they're a solid, not a great offensive rebounding team, but they're solid. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything else, they kind of struggle. They're not a great deep shooting team at all. They have some guys that can hit a shot occasionally, as we saw in the game at Breslin, but they're not a great shooting team uh, from out there. They really struggle with turnovers. So, you know, when we say that their backcourt is much improved, despite the two things I've just said, in part, that's, that's a statement as to just how catastrophically awful their guard play was last year more than, oh, my God, they've got all Big Ten guys this year, you know. Uh, but it <laughs> yeah. is better. Um, and that that's kind of it. 
defensively, you know, it's funny. There, there's they were ranked ninetieth in Ken Palm adjusted defense deficient adjusted defensive efficiency. See, that three when, times fast. <laughs> when Michigan State saw them the last time. So counting the Michigan State game, they played four games since then. They're up to 58. But it's not like they've just shut people down. They played well, but what's helped is they played good opponents. They played Michigan State. They played Wisconsin. They played Northwestern over that stretch. Mm-hmm. So that's going to help you. That's the where the adjust, it's where the adjusted part comes in, right? You play mm-hmm. better yeah. opponents and you do a good job. Yeah, you get more credit than if you're doing it against you know, Rutgers. Um, so they are better there. I, I think that, you know, again, size helps. They they show up inside the arc and they show up um, with some shot blocking, some rim protection. And so those things help them, uh, you know, at least get to a point that you view them as a as a competent defense, not a great one, but but competent. So, it, you know, and and as you said at the outset, hey, it's a road game in the Big Ten, man. You gotta, you just you've got to come in with the mentality that whatever it takes to find a way to get a win. Style points are out the window, and and that's the scenario that that's waiting for Michigan State on Tuesday night. Um, I would imagine. They're still not drawing. I mean, if you watch that Northwestern game and the occasional times that the uh, the, the camera turned to the upper deck, it was pretty empty. So sure. we're not talking about Minnesota crowds the way it was when they had, you know, their Final Four team in the mid nineties. We're not we're not back to that yet. <laughs> but I do yeah. think it's going to be. I it, we heard Coach Mike Garland uh, a few episodes ago talk about how tough a building that place can be, Williams Arena. And I, I expect that uh, it's going to be a tough environment for Michigan State. So it'll it'll definitely, this game certainly ranks as a challenge and more challenging than it looked like on the schedule in October for sure. Yeah. Well, Michigan State's a big draw and Northwestern yeah. isn't. Even though Northwestern That's is a true. much improved team, you know, people just aren't going to show up for that game. doesn't mean that Williams Arena is going to be packed because they've been a poor team for a long time. And it goes, harkens back, I think, you know, you and I remember victories kind of few and far between in, in Minneapolis for, for a long time. Uh, you know, it's just a hard place to play. Yeah. And it just hasn't been recently because they haven't been good, I mean, for a long time. And so it's been easier getting wins there. Yeah, and that's a very fair comment. You know, we, we talk about, and that was another thing Coach Garland said that I thought was interesting when we were talking about Cole in, in Madison and his comment was that, yeah, it's, it's okay, but it's not one of the tougher environments to play in because of the, because of the way it's built. The fact the fans aren't directly on top of you, all of those things. So what the, the subtext there was, look, the, the record over the years in that building has more to do with how good those teams have been than it does the environment per se. And I think, you know, for as much as I, we, everybody talks about Mackey Arena, the most important part of the Mackey Arena equation <laughs> is that Purdue's generally pretty good. You yeah. know, what Assembly Hall for a good portion of my life was uh, just an in, in almost impossible place to think you were going to get a win at. Why? Because mm-hmm. Indiana was really good generally. You know, they haven't been really good over the last 20 years, you know, give or take, but nowhere yeah. near what they were, say, the 30 years prior to that. And all of a sudden, it's a little easier place to get a win at. Ask Penn State yesterday. Um, yeah. So that, that's, yeah, it's a very fair point. But, but I do think in addition to that truth, there also is something about certain environments and Minnesota is one that if the crowd gets going, it can be tough. Yeah. There's no question that those, that those make a difference, but it's like anything it's, you know, on the margins, it's worth a point or two maybe, Right. which is, if you look at, you know, betting odds, usually home 
just like home field's worth something and you know football it's worth a few points in basketball as well generally i want to say that the generally and i could be wrong about this but i think i'm not a gambler but i i think the generally accepted wisdom is that vegas assigns you know depending on the team obviously there's little variance but usually three to four points yeah right mm-hmm. for home court so it's real yeah yeah and the only other thing i would say is about ben johnson and the the toughness it is it is hard when you have attributes that are real i mean we know they're real whether a team can close out a game there's no question there are yep. teams that are better at that and not we've seen that michigan state there are teams that are that get rattled and teams that don't there's no analytics that shows you that except you know vaguely well they're you know offensive efficiency defense efficiency but you know there are certain teams when they're up two with a minute and a half left you're much more comfortable with than other teams yeah. right i mean you just you yeah. feel more confident that they're going to close the game and there's no a statistical thing you could talk about that and so for the same reason that sort of the toughness and how hard someone plays is absolutely a real thing but i don't know where you how you could capture that <laughs> there's no like you know monitor or way of sort of you there have been attempts to define clutch play but it's yeah, yeah i think it's a very i'm with you i think it's a very difficult thing to to uh, measure in a way that feels truly satisfying it's it's one of these things that again it it, it causes a lot of an, a lot of analytics people conniption fits because <laughs> they, and 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 there's truth to it in the sense that you know a basket counts for you know two or three points regardless of what time in the game it's made <laughs> right exactly. so when you when you view it that way absolutely there's an importance to all 40 minutes. And because we're human beings, we tend to lock in on the last, you know, 60 seconds as being more critical. But admitting the truth of that, if you've ever played a sport, particularly a, well, any sport where a game is coming to its conclusion, so bottom of the night, two outs in baseball, or the clock's running out in the other major team sports. You know, if if you've played in those situations, you know it's not it's not something that we're making up. It's no. real. You feel in a close situation, you feel additional pressure. It exists. And it exists and it's real because it, it exists and it's real in the minds of everybody who's on that court in this case right that's yeah that makes it real and and it's real because they know that regardless of what's happened the previous 39 minutes if it's a tight game that last minute is where it gets decided and and there are people who are better able to function in those moments than others you know it's interesting on that point i i watched an extended post-game conversation with malik call after yesterday's game and and it's not like i've malik has stepped up and i i can think of one big clutch moment and i'm probably missing some but he hit i remember him as a freshman hitting a huge three in a win at seton hall that was pretty yeah. big um but he's not necessarily a guy you would look at as okay that's the clutch guy back the plays don't tend to find him in those moments on this team it, it tends to be tyson walker who's mm-hmm. had some good yep. moments and had some failures. It's It's been a little of both. But Malik was talking about his focus always being staying even keeled and how sometimes that's created an issue for he and, and Tom Izzo because Izzo wants him to be fiery as he wants all his players to be. And that's not how Malik is wired. And Malik's instinct is to go the other way and not get too high, not get too low. And most of the time, when I was thinking that yesterday, when you watched him score some of those big buckets, when he went on that run to sort of close out Maryland, um, you didn't see him yelling, fist pumping. He didn't do that stuff. Sometimes it's funny because what it illustrates is that there is very much no one-size-fits-all, right? Correct. There, there's a there's a school of thought that would say, well, you want somebody like that in pressure situations. 
because they're not going to get rattled by the moment. I, I think of somebody like Jared Goff, the Lions, has that kind of that kind of demeanor, and that's something his teammates talk about. He never gets too high, never gets too low, and so you can see where that kind of player could breed confidence, right? But on the other mm-hmm. hand, I've seen guys, I've seen enough guys at Michigan State make huge plays who are anything but calm and collected. They're fiery, they're expressive. They're like, so it, it's it's funny. Who's going to be a player that, that <laughs> excels in those moments? There's not one pure formula that, that always tells you that, you know, gives you that conclusion. But again, you know it when you see it. I know at Michigan State, I always felt in a, in a tight situation, there are two guys I can think of that I always felt great about. Um, Mateen Cleaves and Kalen Lucas. And it, why do I say that? It's because they they put a lot of pelts on their wall, so to speak, <laughs> by winning games, by making big plays and big moments. It happened a lot. Is that a fluke? I don't think so. I think they were kind of wired for it. Yeah. Some people embrace those moments. Yeah. And, and to your point, that, that even Keel is, you know, in some ways – you especially like a sport I'm thinking like golf, especially is yes. you don't really ever want to get too up or down because it's just going to throw you off. So, uh, yeah. So it is interesting how those things work out and the way that it evolves. And so you may think, you know what someone is and then they change. And yep. I, you know, I, one good example of that I think somewhat recently is Aaron Henry really changed yes. the way he was as a player. Really. I want to say the last half or last third of that, of that senior year where he suddenly just, became kind of a beast and just really emotionally got more involved. So, you know, whatever people are now, they may, you know, they may be different by the end of the season too. You just don't know. Well, that's one of the reasons why, you know, in his, as we, we get into the thoroughly into the back half of Malik calls fifth year, Tom Izzo (laughs) is still trying to get him to be more expressive, to be more emotional. He believes that matters, you know? Yeah. Um, And that's, I think it's because obviously he's seen that happen. You know, he's had guys who weren't very expressive early on develop that part of their, their mentality, you know? Yeah. He also sees people in practice and he may see moments where Malik is more aggressive yep. and more emotional. And then he's like, yeah, he's playing better and he, you know, plays more intensity or whatever it is, gives him that it. Absolutely. Um, so he's, you know, so he probably says, yeah, we just need to see more of that. And that's maybe something, sometimes you don't have as much insight into who you are as you think you do. And sometimes you have more. Yeah. <laughs> so it just kind of has to play itself out. Uh, well, let's talk about the starters, which, uh, and the, the rest of the lineup for Minnesota brought to you by the brothers to just two gutters for the player that Michigan state needs to keep in the gutter. Uh, as you may know, we're getting closer to spring. It's actually sunny outside today. We must've gotten finally the doldrums of January and uh, it means that spring is on the way, which means rain's coming. So you want to make sure your gutters are well taken care of. The brothers to just two gutters do fantastic work. It's all they do is just gutters, downspouts, all those, those things. And I was trying to think of the term, you know, there's a, I think it's like tiling. Is that the, are those the tubes that go out and then your gutters out into your yard? Uh, so that makes sure that even when the water comes down, it pools and stays away from the side of your house. And they do that too. Uh, so they will repair, replace, clean them out. Uh, they'll add leaf guards, whatever you need done. They even heaters for your gutters. So you don't have all kinds of ice and snow build up on your gutters if, uh, if you don't want that. Uh, they can also do commercial jobs. And so you get 10% off. You mentioned final four when you get your estimates whether you're on the west side of the state with Kurt and his team or on the east side of the state in the metro Detroit area with Greg and his team, the brothers suggest you gutter should be your first call for taking care of your gutter work. Uh, so the, uh, we'll get through this, and once uh, we get through the lineup, Rod will give us who Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter. So the starters, we'll start with Elijah Hawkins, who Michigan State did not play against the first meeting in East Lansing. 5'11 junior, transferred from Howard, averaging 8.8 points a game on 39, 37, and 79 shooting. Uh, but he's done a nice job running the offense, averaging 7.8 assists per game and just a little under 3-1 to one assist to turnover ratio, so very good, and also leads the team in steals at about two a game. Yeah, look, he, he's a good player, and his presence out there will definitely 
change the dynamic from the first game because the first game, Minnesota really doesn't have a great second option at that position. Um, So they had to play differently, but I I honestly think some things in that game that – starting with the fact that it made Minnesota's backcourt significantly bigger uh, without him. It it changed some dynamics that ended up working out positively for them, too. You can't just say, well, it was a pure negative that they didn't have him, and so that means they're going to be much, much better in this game. They'll be different for sure, and I think that they're a better team over the course of a season, clearly, with him than without him. What it's going to mean for this matchup, that remains to be seen. Uh, you know, he's, I was, because uh, I was pulling for Minnesota to win yesterday. Sure. You know, it, it helps Michigan State. Northwestern comes back to the pack, and in fact, they're now tied with Northwestern in the conference mm-hmm. standing, so that's what I was pulling for. Um, but Hawkins is, he's a tough guy to watch at times because <laughs> For for all his numbers, which are really good, um, there are just decisions that he'll make at times that are just absolutely baffling. I mean, decisions, passing decisions, decisions on plays, where he's trying to make plays. So situations where maybe he's getting too deep, uh, which is something that, you know, A.J. Hogard and, and Tyson Walker struggled with for a while in their careers, just getting too deep in terms of penetration. Um, so I, I certainly wouldn't say he's a boom bust player because his numbers tell you that that's not really the case, but um, he, I, I, I think, I think his numbers suggest a little different player than he actually is. He is more of a risk taker than a typical guy with a, a ratio like he has would would seem to be. As a scorer, mm-hmm. you know, not quite nine points a game. So he's not somebody that looks to shoot a ton, but he's actually been a decent deep shooter. And this is a team that doesn't have a lot of that. So um, he can hurt you there too if you're not careful. But uh, definitely going to change the dynamic at both ends because he's also aggressive defensively. Um, he's one of their he's their steals leaders. So as you said, so um, he's definitely going to change the dynamic from what it was in the first game, and and he's a key guy for them. There's there's no two ways about it. Moving on to the next guard is Mike Mitchell, 6'2", junior transfer from Pepperdine, averaging ten point three points a game on forty three, thirty eight, and seventy three shooting. Leads the team in about 1.3 steals per game. And is a good assist guy with 61 assisted 40 turnovers. Uh, 14 points in the first matchup. He was 5 of 12 from the field. uh, One for, uh, sorry, 3 for 9 from 3. So I think he hit like his first, 3 of his first 4. And then missed like everything after that. So he was definitely like the streaky sort of thing, which is (laughs) sort of your initial impression. And it didn't change by watching him play. It hasn't changed. It's been that way all year. He's... He's their best three-point shooter in terms of a guy who shoots with a lot of volume. There's a mm-hmm. there's another guy that has a better percentage, but he's not he's not the volume shooter Mitchell is. So he was a critical addition just based on that because this is a team that had nothing from three last year. So to add him been very important, but he is not a knockdown guy. You are talking about very much a streaky shooter. And so that's got positives and negatives, you know. If if he's on a roll, boy, it can be tough, as Michigan State found out early in that game, as you said. It can be tough to slow him down. But if he's on a bad run, it, it can stay there for a while. So he's he's not a guy that you look at and say, well, look, mark him down for four for ten every night. You know, that's <laughs> that's just not the way it is. So that that creates a problem, though, because if he's on a roll, if he's on a hot streak, well, then you got to deal with that, and that's not necessarily an easy thing to do because he's got he's got a pretty quick release. Uh, he has a good understanding of how to hunt shot opportunities, and his teammates have shown him an ability to find him. 
So that's challenging. But a good player, definitely. As I said, the deal with Minnesota's guards, it's not like they added guys who were all Big Ten material, but they're they're just so much better than what they had last year that it's making a big difference, even right. if they're flawed. So moving to the wing, Cam Christie, 6'6", freshman wing, younger brother, former MSU player, Max, who he plays for the Lakers. Cam's averaging 10.7 points a game and 3.7 rebounds a game, shooting 44, 39, and 75. Uh, he's about half his attempts or a little over half his attempts are three-pointers. He had eight points and was uh, it was in, he had a strange game that he had a couple threes and looked good, but he fouled out. He only played yeah. 16 minutes. He was, you know, though I describe him as soft. And also the other thing too is, you know, compared to his brother Max, who I, I was surprised that he made that he's made it in the NBA because I know he's got some size, but he wasn't a very good shooter at Michigan State. I, then I thought, well, maybe he's a better shooter than I remembered. I just was remembering all his misses, but he only shot 31 percent from three. Yeah. Uh, in his freshman year and you know his brother's here but almost four, knocking on doors of 40 percent so um you know he's an upgrade over max in that sense well max had a weird year max's reputation was as an outstanding shooter that's what he was supposed to be and he did right. not ever find consistency in his year at michigan state but it is not surprising to me that he's he's managed to kind of get back on the shooting beam as a pro. I wasn't sure what his prospects were going to be because after a year like the one he had at Michigan State, you don't know, like, well, okay, maybe he's not that level of shooter after all, but it's mm-hmm. not. it shouldn't be too shocking that he's recovered because that was his reputation all along. He just had a bad year. Um, I think the big difference between them is that Max... Max, if you remember, there would be times that you would see bursts of athleticism from him that right. would be like wild moments because you didn't always see them, but there were times that he showed that off. He was also really good defensively. I mean, as a freshman, Izzo was often using him as the matchup on the opposing team's uh, best offensive wing. You know, right. I don't see that from Cam. I haven't seen those elements from Cam. Basically, what Cam has done is give them a perimeter boost, and he's been very good at that, and that's important for this team. But he's not hes not the prospect. He's not the, the overall player that Max was. Max could also run an offense a little bit, too, if you remember, and um, I don't see that from Cam. I think right now Cam is basically a – taller wing shooter and he's been very good in that role and minnesota has needed that he was really good yesterday against northwestern he hit some big shots in that game so he's a he's a challenge too when you add up these three guys you know for a team that's not great shooting the three overall these three starters are all you know high 30s kind of guys so they can test you um, and so that's something Michigan State's going to have to be cognizant of. So all three are capable of hurting you. Next would be Farrell Payne, a 6'10", 250-pound sophomore, averaging a little under 10 points a game and six rebounds a game, shooting 63% from the floor, but a miserable 39% from the line. Uh, he's a guy who is definitely a, uh, a load, yeah. and he's a little under two, two blocks a game. And he just plays really well, uh, and he was... He had what fourteen nine against Northwestern the other night. Yeah, yeah, he played. He's another guy. Oh, Cam Christie played really well in that win yesterday. Um, good player, definitely, and and a guy that I, I mentioned it last year in the disaster that was Minnesota's season a year ago. He was one of the very few bright spots because I thought it was pretty obvious that he was a he was a kid that if they were going to be able to keep him. Uh, which is always the issue in the modern game. But if they can keep him, that's a guy who by the time he's a junior or senior, you could see being on some level of all Big Ten team. Maybe not first team, but he had all the tools. You know, he's he's obviously, as you said, physically he's a load, but he's also not a half-bad athlete for a big Mm -hmm. man. He can move. 
And so he gives you rim protection on defense. He can rebound because he takes up a lot of space and he's strong. Offensively, he's got a, you know, he's not, it's not an ultra sophisticated post game, but he can score in the post and he's a, he's a threat on putbacks. He's just, he's, he's tough to handle and he, he, he presents a lot of challenges. Now, it's interesting recently, Minnesota, and it, and it might have started, I don't know, but it, it might have started in the Michigan State game because that that game, Minnesota opted in the absence of Hawkins. They opted to go big, and they started yeah. both Payne and Garcia, and they've been doing that a lot since then with you know with decent results. So, um, it creates a problem. Now the the downside is you're not getting much of a stretch element because Payne doesn't shoot threes at all. And Garcia, although he's been a little better lately, is still well under 30% on the year. So you can make the argument that, yeah, that clogs up your offense when you don't have a, a, when you don't have four guys, you can't play four out one in. Um, But the, the flip side of it is, Minnesota's got some strengths offensively, which we've talked about. They score well inside the arc. Well, that's in part their big men, and they can offensive rebound a little bit. That's also their big men. So Payne helps you in both of those areas. Uh, but he's he's one of those guys, too, when I talk about Ben Johnson getting his team to play hard with some force, some toughness, Payne is one of the guys I'm talking about. And then finally, Dawson Garcia, 6'11", 230-pound junior, played at Marquette, played at North Carolina, is now back for a second year in Minneapolis, leading the team at 17.7 points a game and rebounding at 6.8 a game, shooting 45, 26, and 82 on the year. Uh, and he's he was definitely their best player in the game in East Lansing. He went for 22-9, and nine, yeah. uh, but he did have a bunch of turnovers, he, and he's good from the line, too, averaging almost seven free throws a game. Yeah, he's he look. He's a tough cover, and he's having a really nice year. Uh, the three point shooting, as I mentioned a second ago, it still looks bad, but he was over the last four games. He's raised it by five percent. He was at twenty one percent coming into the MSU game, and now he's sitting mm-hmm. at twenty six. So that means he's he's found some level of production recently. Uh, he's a look. He's a tough cover because. He's big enough that he could do damage around the rim, but he also does have a face-up game. And even if he's not hitting the three well, he could still hit mid-range twos. You know, he's capable there. And he's also a good enough handler that he could face you up and look to go by you to go to the rim, which is part of that element is part of what helps him get all those free throw attempts. So he's a very tough cover and he's been a very effective player overall for them. As you said, Michigan State had real problems containing him in that first game. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this one goes. Um, but he's, yeah, he's, he's, he gives them, you know, I felt coming into the season, it was important that they had him because sometimes if you're a bottom end team, you don't have even that one player who could be a difference maker on certain nights. And I felt like he at least gave them that. Well, obviously the rest of their team has been better around him, but that part still holds true. Garcia gives them a guy that on a given night could go for 25 or 30 and kind of carry them. And not not every team has that kind of player. So that's an edge for Minnesota to have that kind of weapon. So moving on to the reserves, we'll start with Joseph uh, Joshua Ola Joseph, 6'7", 215-pound sophomore, averaging a little under 10 points a game and 2.7 rebounds a game, shooting 62, 41, and 75. Uh, he obviously started the Michigan State game because Hawkins was out. Uh, only averages about one and a half threes a game, so even though he shoots 41%, it's pretty low volume. But he's not been do, doing well recently, right? He's like 0 for 5 in the last four games. Yeah, and that that's the thing. We had talked about that coming into the first game. Wow, this guy's got eye-popping shooting numbers, but the volume's not huge, and you wonder how sustainable that is. Well, I think we're maybe finding out that 
he's probably not a 50% shooter from three. <laughs> uh, and he's been on a cold streak. Now, if you're Michigan State, then you got to worry about as wow, guy who's been on a cold streak at home, is he going to suddenly find himself against us? You never right. know. But what's weird is that his playing time for a guy who started most of the year lately, his playing time has really fluctuated. He only played eight minutes yesterday against Northwestern. An overtime game. That's strange. Right. In a 45-minute game. That's a good point. Uh, so even worse. So I don't know what's going on there other than I think that Ben Johnson really likes what the Payne and Garcia combination has been giving him, you know, when they're out there together and then surround them with three guards. Uh, I think he's felt like that's worked, but um, Ola Joseph is a guy who has definitely done some damage this year. He's had a played a lot of good basketball. He's averaging double digits still. So um, definitely a guy who's dangerous. He obviously is a threat from three, even with the current the the recent cold streak. Uh, and yet he's got enough physicality that he can do some damage inside the arc too. So um, he's a guy you got to be cognizant of. Then move on to Braden Carrington, 6'4", sophomore wing, averaging 4.9 points a game on 35, 16, and 72 shooting. So obviously he made a three against Michigan State. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> he grabs 3.8 rebounds per game uh, in 23 minutes. Yeah, and another you know bigger-bodied physical wing helps. Clearly not a great shooter, although, as you say, he did stick one against MSU. I think he was... I think he was one, one for two. two. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, we'll hope that doesn't repeat itself. But uh, this is a team that it's a slightly less extreme version of Ben Johnson's first team in Minnesota. They don't go very deep. So every yeah. guy that can give you at least competent minutes off that bench helps because it's going to mean that those starters are at least a little bit fresher. And that's the primary role this kid serves. Parker Fox is finally healthy. He's averaging 3.7 points a game and two and a half rebounds a game in 11 minutes, shooting 71% from the floor, 48% from the line, uh, 0 for 3 from the deep for the season. And uh, he's the one who transferred up and he got injured. Um, so it's kind of amazing that he's back and playing. Yeah, we talked about this before the first game. I think that's yeah. the victory for him and the next guy we'll talk about. Just after you both of them missed two straight years with injuries. So after that, just getting back out on the floor and playing is a victory. And he's given them some production. You know, the, again, Minnesota is primarily a seven-man rotation. Then there's a couple guys, Fox is one of them, who play, you know, might get one quick turn each half, and that's kind of it. But he's another big body, which helps. You know, that they can they can roll out another guy who at least has some legitimate size, can go get you a rebound and a bucket now and then. Uh, he hasn't mm -hmm. done anything spectacular, except that the shooting percentage for the floor tells you, if anything, this is a guy who understands exactly who he is. <laughs> He's not taking a lot of shots that he can't make. Right. Finally, Isaiah Innan, the other person you're talking about who's been who's out two years with injury, is 6'9", junior. And he's averaging 4.3 points a game and two and a half rebounds a game in 15 minutes, shooting 45, 37, and 50. And he played just uh, 60 minutes, actually, but had just sort of a bunch of zeros across the across the board except to a couple of rebounds. Yeah, and, and the reason I say I talk about that shrinking bench is lately he's played less than his seasonal averages. Sure. But but again, he's he shot well enough that he gives him a role that he can fill on this team. They can bring him in for a few minutes on the wing and maybe get a bucket out of him, get a little bit of production, hold the fort down. Um, but again, the, the biggest thing I think here is that he's playing it all. And uh, the Brothers of Justice Gutter sponsored player that Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter. The first matchup, it was Dawson Garcia. I imagine even though the return of Hawkins, it's still Garcia. Would that be correct? Absolutely. Yeah, he's yeah. just been so productive, and he, he really he really did did a number on Michigan State in the game in East Lansing, so uh, he's the obvious choice, I think. So I think this will be a little more interesting now. We've got the 
Squeegee Squad of Grand Rapids, player that Mitch uh, who cleans the glass the best. Uh, currently, you have a four, three and a half edge on me. Uh, I get to pick first this time, and I, you know, it's a little harder. I think it was pretty obvious. It was pretty much just Hall and Madi, and pretty much Madi for a while. And now we have had a lot of emergence of other people rebounding the ball. We've had, you know, Aikens and Hall and Cooper and Sissoko. So I think it's a lot trickier. So I'm going to not go with Madi since I get to pick first this time, which maybe I'll, I'm sure I'll regret immediately. But I'm going to go with Cooper just because he was there last. And I think, you know, we'll see if he picks it up and rebounds the road well. I don't know. Who are you going to go with? I'm going to go with Madi Sissoko. I think that he will bounce back after, you know, it was an interesting game against Maryland because he didn't he didn't rack up a lot of rebounds, but I thought, um, I thought his activity level was good, and it helped other guys maybe, um, which sometimes happens in in rebounding. You know, you can do an effective job and not be the guy who's actually getting credited with the rebound because you took out your guy. And I think that was something of the case at times in the Maryland game. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick him to bounce back and and lead Michigan State on the boards in this game. We say that all in the shadow of the last meeting where Malik Hall had 12 rebounds. Right. <laughs> he ran away with it. So we'll see. I mean, I think obviously anything is possible in this game. And a game that Michigan State uh, should do, again, needs to do a good job on the boards. Uh, but if you need your windows cleaned, your glass cleaned, there's no better place to reach out to than the Squeegee Squad of Grand Rapids. You can find the contact information on our support page at the Final Four, now the schedule.com slash support. There you can get a link to get an estimate from them 15% off if you mentioned rebound with your getting your estimate. Uh, they do fantastic work. Clean your windows, clean the side of your house, they power wash, they do all those sorts of things, get in your get your clear your screens. And um, I don't know, our experience was fan, was fantastic. They were super professional, very, very nice young men who came to our house and were so thorough. I mean, I just can't I can't recommend them enough. And not only your house, you can have them come by your business. They do high rises, they've done the state capitol. They sort of been around and done it all the jobs. And so whatever the job is, it's not too small, not too big for them. They can handle it. So again, the squeegee squad at Grand Rapids. Uh, then we'll go on to our five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. This time we're just going to have a little brief word with Gabe. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Gabe Viscomi, owner of the fantastic sponsor of the Final Four on the schedule, Nudge Printing. We're here to take a peek behind the curtain. And uh, Gabe, you've been in the business for a while now. What is the favorite part of the business for you? Uh, you know, we will get um, quite a few people reaching out to us, just like telling us how much they like the product and how it fits and whatnot. And that's always the best part because, you know, for us, we sell a lot of apparel, a lot of car decals, and it goes out into the world and you never think about it again. Uh, so I love it when, you know, people will post on Twitter or whatever and say like, hey, I got my I got my new hoodie. Uh, and I love it. Like that type of thing is like, oh my gosh, they like you hear from, you know? Well, and I can tell you personally, I love all the stuff. I mean, all the shirts and hoodies we've had are just, I mean, they're super comfortable. I mean, that alone is, makes it well worth it. So, and they're very durable. So we've been very pleased with ours as well. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right. So the five keys of the game will begin with number one, interior defense. As you mentioned before, now they're going the two bigs with Payne and Garcia, just like they did against Michigan State in the first meeting. They do a lot of stuff around the rim. So uh, Michigan State's going to be it's a new sort of a challenge, obviously, and the way different than the other way they've other teams have been playing. Yeah, very, very much so. This is a team you, you've got to, uh, again, particularly the way that Minnesota is using those guys together a lot. Uh, that's, that's the challenge you're going to be faced with. It, and it creates some matchup issues, too, because what it means is that you probably are going to see a lot of Malik Hall guarding Dawson Garcia. And that's a challenging matchup for Malik because Garcia, Garcia's Garcia got the kind of mobility that, you know, normally Malik would be guarding that kind of player, and you'd feel good about that, and you do here. I mean, he's capable of, of guarding Garcia away from the rim effectively. But Garcia's also got like three inches on Malik. <laughs> yeah. So it's a tough, it's a tough cover. And then your bigs are dealing with Payne, who, as we've talked about, is a load physically. 
and can carve out space around the rim, and and he's a problem. Um, so it's it's a challenge here. Uh, and you know, in the first game, I think Payne had I want to say he had nine points, maybe yeah, so seven, mm-hmm. seven. Yeah. Okay, so combined, those two guys had twenty nine points uh, between yeah. those two bigs. That's a that's good production. And yeah. so Michigan State's going to want to try to find ways to limit that a little bit more in this game. Easier said than done, but I I think what will go a long way is some of what we saw in the game yesterday against Maryland where you see guys really, really competing, playing hard, playing aggressively, and playing with toughness. That's going to be some of what's going to be required, absolutely. Second key to the game is pace, and as mentioned this every time, Michigan State actually played pretty well with pace against Minnesota in the first matchup. And so, again, you know, they want to try and get in the offense quickly, obviously fast breaks when possible, uh, but you just want a good movement and getting the sh- a shot up sooner rather than later. <laughs> and, I will, and I will say this, compared to what we talked about this in the postgame yesterday about Maryland, Minnesota is not Maryland. They're, right. not, they're not that level of team defensively. So in the half court, you should be able to play quicker, I think. And they did in the first matchup, and I think they should be able to again in this one. Um, Michigan State, in terms of being able to get into transition in the last game, had 17 fast break points in the first meeting, which is good. Uh, yeah. Some of that was the result of turnovers. And you do have to acknowledge Minnesota was playing without their starting point guard. So this might be a different dynamic. You might not. That said, Minnesota has been a terrible turnover team, just plagued with them, even with Hawkins. So Mm -hmm. there may still be the opportunities to get out on the break as a result of, of live ball turnovers, you know. So... We'll see how that evolves, but I do think the odds for Michigan State to be able to play as fast as they want to, or closer to that at least, are are pretty good as opposed to that last game against Maryland. The next key to the game is energy and toughness, and I don't recall what Minnesota's Ken Palm ranking is for energy and toughness, but they're a pretty tough team. <laughs> yeah, as we're talking about, I mean, you can... You could say, well, that stuff's a cliche, blah, blah, blah. I I don't believe that. I think that it does show up as as a, not necessarily always the, but as a underlying cause in some of the areas that we can measure. So rebounding, defense, even, even even offense, it shows up. How, how, um, how effective is your screening game? Are mm-hmm. our yep. guys are guys playing through contact and able to convert some at once? You know, are you playing aggressively enough to draw fouls at all? You know, all of those things. And and Minnesota at home. Look, if you're Ben Johnson, they say, well, we're five and five now. They're not on course for a tournament bid. I think that's a long shot, and Long just left town, but. <laughs> But you're trying to build something, you know? You're trying to build a program. You're trying to do some things that will convince players you're recruiting to come there and improve your talent base. And so if you're in that situation, you just beat Northwestern, the team everybody's been fawning over. Now you get Michigan State coming in, a team that, what is MSU? Five of their last six, six of their last seven, something like that. Something like Most that. Five, sure, five of their yeah. last six, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that, that's another big opportunity. So I would expect that he's going to have his team revved up. MSU's got to match that at least. And then boards. You Minnesota, decent rebounding team okay offensively, uh, better than they are defensively, but probably on both numbers. I don't know. I don't know the numbers in front of me, but I'm guessing they're probably ranked ahead of Michigan State in both those categories. They are. They are a little bit. Um, And in the first game, it was a slight edge. I think Minnesota had a 3% edge. It was something like 34% offensive rebounding rate to 31%. So it was an edge, but it wasn't a decisive one. 
Michigan State needs to keep it in that range. You know, this is a game coming in that you would think you'll have an advantage in turnovers. So if that holds, then you just need to be somewhere around even on the boards. And again, Minnesota's going to play big. They're going to play hard with some physicality and some energy. You got to find ways to combat that. But in the first game, Michigan State did okay in that area. They need to, they need to repeat that. And and I think one sign of MSU having a shot at doing that is some of what we saw in that Maryland game. We didn't really spend a lot of time talking about this aspect in particular, but. Michigan State's guards rebounded better. You know, I think, I want to say A.J. had five, and uh, and Aikens, well, Aikens had six, right? Aikens had five, and A.J. had four. Okay, five and four. Aikens had a cup three offensive, and A.J. had an offensive rebound. He has like a putback. Yep. And, And so those things are obviously important. We've been talking about it frequently, that Michigan State, rebounding will go as their perimeter group goes. And so those guys need to keep making that level of contribution. And that matters in this game too. Yeah. It's interesting about that game in, uh, in East Lansing before is that although Michigan state actually had more offensive rebounds, they had 12 to Minnesota's 10, but state had 16 more field goal attempts. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why the percentage wise, uh, which is, just goes to show the difference in the turnover margin. Was Absolutely. Too, it was right? very big. And I don't expect it to be that big this time. I do think Michigan State probably should have an edge, though. And right. so if that's true, then it just it just means if, if you play them to a draw on the glass, that's good. Because that should that should leave you with an advantage in scoring opportunities. And that's what you want. And the final key to the game is the road. MSU found a way to beat Maryland at Maryland a couple weeks back, and that's great. That was a breakthrough. It was their first true road win of the year. And then they went to Madison and really didn't play particularly well and got beat you know, by double digits. So you can't yet say that the road issues have been fully exercised, right? Mm-hmm. Uh this is another opportunity, and this is an opportunity with a game that when you look at it on paper is very much a winnable game. Uh, Michigan State will be favored, I imagine. I haven't seen a line yet, but I would imagine they'll be a fairly narrow favorite. I would think probably, you know, two points, three points, that kind of thing. Right. And it's a game that if they play well, they likely will win. But you have to do that. And so this is another opportunity, and, and it matters because for Michigan's, you know, we've been talking for a while, a lot of people, they were talking about it on the broadcast yesterday. You know, well, Michigan State's schedule sets up in a way that they could really go on a run here late in the season. And I think that's true on balance. But you, you still you still got to acknowledge, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're still going to these places and, you know, you got to go to Ann Arbor. Yeah, they're terrible. But, you know, it's still a road game. You got to go to Penn State, I believe. Yep. Um, you got to you got to go to Minnesota in this one. I'm not sure where else. Um, Indiana. Indiana. Okay, there's another one. Yeah, all of those games look very winnable. But when you're on the road, it takes a different kind of mentality and a different kind of performance, usually, in order to be able to get a win, no matter how bad the opponent is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is an example of that. Look, and and also I think sometimes people, especially those who don't follow real closely, they tend to lock in the preseason perception, and that sort of drives how they see it, regardless of what's changed. Right. Reality is, you know, I said this yesterday on the Spartan Mag board. I think it's fair to say that the Big Ten is not particularly deep in tournament quality teams. We we've talked about this recently. Probably six bids is what I think we're looking at, absent something weird happening. And mm-hmm. that's not normal. You know, the Big Ten in a 14 team league now 
you would say, you know, eight is kind of where your threshold starts. So they're, they're, they don't have that quality at the top. But I also think the league is a little deeper in, you know, capable teams yeah. than okay we thought. Teams. Yeah. Really, there's only two teams that I think are bad because I'm, I'm not quite, you know, Ohio State is just this, been this eternal conundrum. Despite their record, I'm, <laughs> I'm not quite ready to put them in the bad team category. I think Michigan and Rutgers is really where it stops. And everybody yeah. else, I think, on a given night is capable of winning a game. You know, you got Penn State at five and six. You have Minnesota at five and five. Well, those were two very popular picks for 13th and 14th. In fact, I think that's what we did. And they're not going to yes. finish. They're not going to finish 13th and 14th, you know? Nowhere close. Yeah. Iowa, they're not great, but. They're, they're capable on a given night. You know, Indiana really, really looks awful at times. They've won five games in the league already. So, right. you know, you go you go through that list of teams in that range that we're talking about, and they're, you know, they're capable. They've obviously figured out ways to win a decent number of games. So this is not a gimme. Michigan State's got to play well. This is not Minnesota of last year. It's a different deal. And MSU is going to have to play well in order to win, and that's hard to do in a road environment. But I, I also think that they are fully capable of doing that, and I push comes to shove, I expect them to. Yeah, it's interesting, too, looking at the class of coaches that came in. You know, there's Johnson, Shrewsbury, and Woodson all came at the same time. And – uh, it's funny how your impression changes based on the year too. I think, you know, first year we thought, Oh, we were impressed with Shrewsbury. We yep. were impressed with Johnson. Year two, we're like, Johnson's like, yeah, I don't know. This is <laughs> it was right. a pretty bad right. year. And Shrewsbury t- bolts and they obviously had a lot of success. He ended up going to yep. Notre Dame, but they took his team to the tournament and Woodson was like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. And then this year it seems pretty clear that Woodson is uh, maybe find the door and Johnson looks like he's re- kind of, regained his footing and he may be in there for the long haul. I mean, depends on next year, I think. I got to tell you, I, I think that beating Northwestern yesterday, I'm not going to say that cements it, but I'm going to be very surprised because I don't think they're done winning games either. Right. Um, I agree. I, I, uh, I'd i be shocked if Ben Johnson doesn't get another year. I think he's done enough with this team. Uh, and a lot of those guys can be back too. He, you know, he had the transfers he added were not, grad transfers they weren't one-year guys so right. even garcia i believe has another year he's left. Got, he's he wants a it. yeah yeah so that team could be back for more or less intact um you know it's interesting just to digress for a second you mentioned mike woodson uh there is a distinct possibility and i'm i'm going to predict that it is not a clean sweep not all three of these guys will be gone next year but Right now, when you look at it, there is a distinct possibility that the jobs at Indiana, Ohio State, and Michigan could all open up. Yeah. And that is, I, I said this on the Spartan Mag board, again, I'm referencing <laughs> that, but I said that this morning. I said that the fascinating thing about uh, coaching searches is it really tells you what the perception is of your program among coaches which is a very different thing sometimes than how fans or media sees it. So when you look at these jobs, look, I think the Michigan job is a tough one to peg because it's, it's got some attractive elements, but it also has some real issues, Mm -hmm. uh, serious issues. So I don't think it's on the level of the other two, but man, if you're talking about resources, um, in both financial, well, counting them all, financial resources, facilities, and the ability to recruit easily to your school, Ohio State and Indiana are top-tier jobs. For know? sure, yeah. But, but particularly at Indiana, that job also comes with a lot of pressure. And so that's why, you know, in Indiana's case, there's a lot of speculation that Dusty May, the uh, current head coach of Florida Atlantic, who 
was a manager at Indiana when he was a student there, that he's the guy they want. They're going to get rid of Woodson and bring him in. And maybe that happens because I, I do agree Dusty May's got to go this year. It may never get better in terms of an opportunity for him to go high major than it will mm-hmm. this offseason. But maybe he doesn't. I don't know. And I don't think anybody knows for sure. How does he do it? Yes, he's an alum. That certainly helps. But you, there's a rash, there's a world where someone could look at the Indiana and Ohio State jobs and think Ohio State's the better gig because it's got all the same resources available to win with without nearly as much pressure, you know? So I think it's going to be really interesting if that happens and those jobs are open to see how it goes. We've got some weeks to go before we start finding out. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. If you've not yet subscribed to the show, what's stopping you? Go ahead and subscribe. You can check us out on YouTube as well, especially when you have the interviews with other people like Coach Garland that you can get some video and see your beautiful smiling faces. Uh, that's You can just find that at TFFINOTS. Uh, you can also go to our support page. Not only can you find links to our great sponsors to the show, if you want to get an estimate from Brothers Just Gutters or the Squeegee Squad of Grand Rapids, or link to Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. And don't forget, you get 20% off if you mention uh, type in Final Four as one word at the checkout. Uh, you can also find ways to support the show financially if you'd like to do that, either one time or recurring basis. That's always at the Final Four is on the schedule.com slash support. So until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green.